prior to this report last year, we had the publication of the Sewell report, which denied that institutional racism exists in the UK. But our report was very firmly stating that actually there are severe ethnic inequalities in a range of healthcare services in this country. And the root cause of those inequalities are structural, institutional and interpersonal racism. This podcast came to be because I want to reignite discussions about Pan-Africanism. And the purpose is to plant seeds of unity and inspiration among Africans, both at home and in the diaspora. I believe we have come to the stage where our continent is more vulnerable than ever. And it's up to us to decide our fate moving forward. What we will come to realize, I hope, is that we're so much more alike than we're different. And this show is just a small contribution to the public discourse that is going on in Africa right now. My name is Soshima Iro, and this is the Pan-African Experience. On today's episode, I'll be joined by Dr. Dami Kapadia. Dr. Kapadia is a lecturer at the University of Manchester. Her research focuses on racism, health, mental health, and older people. She is the lead author on the recently published NHS report, Ethnic Inequalities in Healthcare, a Rapid Review. I'll be talking to her about this report. I'm very grateful and honored to have Dr. Kapadia on the podcast. Dr. Dami Kapadia, welcome to the Pan-African Experience. Thank you very much. And thank you, Sashima, for inviting me onto your podcast. It's great to be here. Okay, thank you. Uh, a report was published uh, last week that established severe racial inequalities across several services within the NHS. You know, if I put it bluntly, ethnic minority patients and ethnic minority staff within the NHS experience various forms of racism, you know, structural, interpersonal, and institutional uh, racism. And uh, this report was commissioned by NHS Race and Health Observatory and uh, conducted by academics at the University of Manchester, University of Sheffield, and University of Surrey, led by yourself. So I just wanted to just, can you give me a little background on this uh, body that commissioned this report, please? Yeah, sure. So the NHS Race and Health Observatory was set up about a year ago to address ethnic inequalities in healthcare and in health in the UK. Um, and during its time, it's um, commissioned other pieces of research to look at, for example, how data is recorded about ethnicity in our NHS records. And one of the things they wanted to do was look at the extent of ethnic inequalities in healthcare and the effect of racism in some priority areas. So the report that you mentioned, which I led on and I did with colleagues at uh, University of Manchester, Sheffield and Sussex, we looked at ethnic inequalities in mental health care, maternal and neonatal health care, in um, digital inclusion, so digital appointments, either on the telephone or online, and then uh, genomic medicine or precision medicine, as it's also sometimes known, and genetic testing, and also inequalities faced by ethnic minority staff in the NHS workforce. So these were deemed as five priority areas by the NHS Race and Health Observatory, and they commissioned me and my team to conduct what's called a rapid review. So what we did is we looked at the evidence, the research evidence, so published by academics, published by clinicians, published by um, government bodies or other organisations. We looked at all that evidence from the past 10 years to see 
what the extent of those ethnic inequalities were in those priority areas. And we found that there was widespread ethnic inequalities in each of the areas that we looked at. And I think this may not come as a surprise. It didn't come as a surprise to us because we, I work in the area, my colleagues work in the area. And a lot of the people that um, kind of engage in this work don't see this as any kind of surprise. But the reason why this was an important report was that prior to this report last year, we had the publication of the Sewell report, which denied that institutional racism exists in the UK. But our report was very firmly stating that actually there are severe ethnic inequalities in a range of healthcare services in this country. And the root cause of those inequalities are structural, institutional and interpersonal racism. Well, OK, so the, the report was presented in sections. I, I think you've reiterated them as well. And uh, I was wondering, with regards to ethnic inequalities in mental health services, you know, what were the findings in those areas? So in the, there was quite a lot of literature. So even though we'd only um, looked at the last 10 years, there was a, there's been a lot of research that has shown the extent of ethnic inequalities. So the things that particularly stuck out for us in our report was that black people, so people from black Caribbean or black African groups are much more likely to be detained um, compulsor compulsorily. So that means be put into a psychiatric um, setting, like a psychiatric hospital against their will, either through coming through the police or through their GP. So being sectioned basically. So if you come from a black background, you're much more likely to um, come into the hospital in a psychiatric hospital in that way. That's also the case for Asian people, although they're less likely than black people to come in that way. We also see some really severe inequalities for younger ethnic minority children. So one of the findings of the one of the studies that was included in our review showed that black children are much more likely to come into uh, child and adolescent mental health services or CAMS via social services or education rather than come through their GP compared to white British children. And people might be saying, well, actually, does it matter which route they come into the service as long as they're getting the service that they need? Well, actually, it does matter because the GP is usually the first point of call as to where you would go to get some other kind of service like a mental health service. But what our findings suggest is that they're coming through um, routes that are not as kind of... Uh, as good for the child. So coming through a referral from social service or via education. And this kind of replicates what we're seeing in adult populations where they're coming through routes where they're more likely to experience some kind of violence or some kind of aggression towards them from state institutions. Well, so, so and even the reports say that these inequalities are from birth to death, which is quite, uh, you know, appalling. And, this is not the first time, you know, I was not surprised about this. This is not the first time. There have been previous research on, you know, uh, maternity in terms of uh, black women dying, you know, they're four times more likely to die, you know, according to uh, Embrace reports that was uh, released last year. So uh, I was not surprised, but what, how come NHS hasn't done anything, you know, before? I know it's good, you know, I give them credit for actually setting up this body and doing this review, but what have they done before uh, 
with regards to these issues? So I don't know like all the initiatives that we've had, but say for in mental in mental health, we used to have um, what's called delivering race equality. So that was um, after the death of um, David Rocky Bennett in custody. So a black man who was restrained and then died in, um, sorry, in a psychiatric setting. After that, um, and the campaigning that was done, we had what was called Delivering Race Equality. So this was a program that ran for five years from 2005 to 2010. And what it did was it actually um, made NHS Trust kind of really account for who was coming into the hospitals, what their ethnic background was. So they ran what was called a Count Me In census. So it counted um, everybody that was in a psychiatric setting or what's called on a community treatment order. So that we had proper figures of which ethnic groups were in hospital um, and who was more likely to be in hospital. But they got rid of that. And then since then, we've got this vacuum. There is actually no race equality strategy for mental health services. So recently we've had an independent review of the Mental Health Act, but it really didn't pay that much attention to these racial inequalities. So we've written as part of um, a research group I'm involved with called the Synergy Collaborative Centre. We've written about how it was like a really missed opportunity for that review to actually highlight the extent of racial inequalities and make very robust recommendations to address them. So it's very difficult for me to say why these things haven't been done. But obviously, in order to ensure that things um, that things improve for people from ethnic minority backgrounds, there needs to be political commitment and there also needs to be a large financial commitment in order to say, yes, we are going to do this and then roll those out. So in the report, we actually made some recommendations of what could be done. And one of these was a very what I consider to be quite a simple thing that we should ensure that ethnicity is recorded accurately for everybody who comes into contact with an NHS service at any point. So in primary care services, secondary care. And that in itself will not address racism and racial inequality, but it would mean that we have definitive data about what the extent of the inequalities are. Because in the report as well, we found that in some NHS systems, you might find that 30% of patients' um, ethnicity data is not recorded. Now, we wouldn't accept that for gender, would we? We wouldn't accept or somebody's biological sex or however they may identify. We wouldn't accept that level of missing data for such an important variable. So why should we accept that there is that level of missing data for something as important as someone's ethnic background? There's also, with regards to ethnic inequalities in genetic testing and uh, genomic medicine studies, you know, what do you, get, what do you find in those areas, you and your colleagues? So, so just to explain to kind of listeners um, that genomic medicine or precision medicine is um, using people's genetic um, DNA or material to eventually think of medicine that is personalised to that DNA or to someone's genetic makeup. Now, in practice, we don't actually see this um, in the UK. So this is not something that's widespread, that this is not being used. Um, but what we do see is we see a lot of genetic databases or research databases, for example, the UK Biobank. 
and these uh, and there's other genetic databases and they're called genomic wide genome wide association studies or GWA for short. So as part of those research studies, people's genetic material is conducted and then analysis is done to see, um, you know, what that genetic material can tell us about someone's health conditions, for example. And what we see in these genetic, these GWA studies is that there is an underrepresentation of people from ethnic minority backgrounds. So more, a lot of the, you know, uh, the GWA studies are predominantly white people. Um, so they're not representative of the populations that they might then try to create personalised medicine for. So that was one of our criticisms. The other thing is as well is that ethnicity is not very well defined in any of these studies. So they use lots of different ways of describing someone's ancestral background, so Caucasian. There's lots of different ways of categorising someone as African-American or Black. So, you know, there's all these worldwide, we've seen all these GWA studies, but there's actually no consensus of what, what ethnic background we're talking about. On the genetic testing side of it, so this is um, people being offered genetic testing for uh, condition, health conditions that would affect them. So, for example, sickle cell anemia or testing um, for conditions for when babies are in the womb. So what we found is that ethnic minority people were reporting that there was stereotypes about what they might need testing for and a real lack of information about how to get testing properly. So in some of the studies that we reviewed, some of the um, people of South Asian background felt that there was assumptions being made by their GPs as to whether they needed genetic testing for their unborn children because the GPs were sometimes assuming that they were in first cousin marriages when that was not the case. So that's some of the things that we found. One of the other things we found, just going back to the genome-wide association studies, which I think very clearly links to things that we're seeing currently in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic, is that people are reluctant to take part in genomic-wide association studies. So there was one study that we reviewed, which actually um, interviewed uh, mainly Black Caribbean and Black African people about their views on taking part in such genetic studies. And there was a fear of taking part in studies like this due to previous racist treatment in research and in um, health services. So, for example, the Tuskegee syphilis study in America. So there was a, a real fear of, well, we don't want to take part in these studies because actually, is it some form of uh, exploitation, experimentation? What benefit will it have to me? But at the same time, the people in the study that we reviewed actually said, well, but we, we want to take part in them because we want our um, ethnic people from our ethnic backgrounds to feel the benefit of those studies as well. So you kind of got this tension in some of the studies we reviewed too. Yeah, that's interesting because, uh, you know, I have read some papers, you know, about uh, MMR vaccine where they allege that, you know, if given before the age of three, especially for black boys, you know, it could affect them, you know, uh, negatively. Now, whether that has been disproved or not, this is where this kind of uh, genomic studies is quite good. You know, at least someone would be able to, you know, do the studies to actually find out exactly what's happening. And, you know, this is something I will happily, you know, get involved in or encourage people to, to, to get engaged with, you know, because that will show, because everybody is not the same. 
you know, especially in terms of race, you know, the way I will react to certain treatment is different from the way someone else will react to certain treatment. So that's very important as well. And I just wanted to say this one has, is very, very, uh, the one I've heard a lot, you know, with regards to ethnic inequalities in Matana and Neonata healthcare. This one is, I've heard so much about it in the UK, it, the same in America and across Europe. Can you talk about, you know, the findings on this area, please? Yeah, so the, the Embrace report that you were talking about before, Sashima, which showed, um, you know, severe inequalities, particularly for black women in terms of death in childbirth. So um, we, we kind of wrote that into our background of the report, but we didn't review the research that looked at actual maternal deaths. We looked at kind of what was happening when people were going in to, to get health healthcare but obviously this is why we focused on that and that's why the race and health observatory wanted us to focus on that so a lot of the research that we were finding was showing that ethnic minority women many ethnic minority women were reporting very bad service from maternity services in antenatal care whilst they were giving birth and postnatally as well so there was reports of women feeling dismissed by staff, not being listened to. There was a real lack of good quality interpreting services for women who didn't speak English confidently um, and having to rely on either family or friends. And I think that's one of the things uh, in our report that we did say this is quite shocking that in, you know, in the last decade, we still don't have an NHS that can provide good quality interpreting services for people who who can't speak uh, who can't speak english confidently in a healthcare setting um there was also in 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 the maternity services as well we found that you know women from kind of groups that are really excluded from society so for example gypsy irish traveler roma women also suffered um you know kind of bad treatment uh, within the maternity services. And I think, you know, it affected a range of ethnic minority women. There wasn't just kind of one group. And some of the treatment was based on stereotypes about women from certain ethnic groups. Um, so I think, you know, there was there's quite a lot of work to be done there to improve those services. Um, kind of within that section as well, we did review um, any studies for neonatal healthcare, so healthcare for newborn babies. Um, our review didn't really identify um, very many studies in that area, but the one study that we did identify showed that Asian babies compared with white babies were more likely to be admitted back to the hospital for jaundice um, after they'd already been discharged. But that, that shows maybe there is... Um, kind of a lack of data around kind of newborn babies and, you know, what, what kind of data does the NHS already hold so that we can do that kind of analysis to show the ethnic differences? Yeah, I think they are basing the, with regards to John Dees, they are basing the, the examination on just physical examination, you know, which can be very deceptive with regards to skin color, you know. You know, white babies are more likely to be detected, you know, physically or much quicker that way. So extensive study needs to be done with regards to ethnic minority uh, babies. And uh, so there's also ethnic inequalities with regards to digital inclusion and access to health services. You, you touched on this a little bit. Can you expand on the, the findings more, please? 
Yeah, so just in this area, there wasn't um, there wasn't actually a massive amount of literature that we reviewed. I think we only included either maybe 10 or 12 studies. Sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, this was really looking at ethnic differences or ethnic inequalities in access to um, kind of uh, digital, either online appointments or telephone services or remote appointments. And I think this was a priority for the Race and Health Observatory because we've seen a massive shift to online consultations during the pandemic, but not with any real consideration of how this might affect different groups. Um, so in some of this, there wasn't um, a great deal of literature there. And there was um, some evidence that ethnic minority people um, might be kind of less likely to get referrals on the, I think, um, referrals via the telephone to, to triple one. And then there was some evidence that they might be less likely to trust where their, how their data is going to be used on a, on a health application, like a digital app. And, you know, they had more worries about whether that would be used by the government for kind of purposes that weren't to do with their health. But, but honestly, there wasn't, um, there wasn't a huge deal of, um, evidence there and one of our recommendations was is to do a, a kind of more extensive review what's called a systematic review to um to search even more extensive the literature in the area and think up carefully about how introducing these digital methods might impact on ethnic minority people so some other work i've done has shown that ethnic minority older people um particularly might be disadvantaged because um, they might have uh, lower access to like a, a digital device like a phone or a, a, a tablet or a computer. Um, they might be less likely to speak English and if interpreters are not being provided on online appointments or telephone appointments, that might be a real problem. They might also have less skills in terms of being able to use the internet or use a specific app to access a health appointment. So um, I think this is like a, an area where much more evidence is needed. And I think um, my concern and my colleagues' concern is that if we are going to move towards having digital appointments as a kind of more of a norm, then this might actually serve to exclude a lot of people. I mean, digital appointments might be really good for some people. And we did some stakeholder interviews as well. So um, or stakeholder groups. So we partnered with the Race Equality Foundation and the Uberlay Initiative. These are groups that work with ethnic minority people. Um, and they, they did some stakeholder groups and asked people, you know, what they thought on all these different areas. And some people actually said, yeah, online appointments are great. It means that I don't have to get childcare or it means that I can fit it in around work. So obviously there are benefits, but if, um, if things if major changes that that's a major change if things are going to move to online more more permanently which they may not but they may continue for a little while longer there needs to be a proper equality assessment of how that change is going to affect different ethnic groups and if it is going to affect some groups more negatively than others then things need to be put in place like providing devices for people who need it or providing like a community hub that was one of the suggestions that our partners came up with um, that somewhere a community where people can go along and get that support to use those kinds of devices. Okay, so and uh, that's it's quite interesting. And 
this this one now is something that I, I'm quite surprised about because um, with regards to ethnic equalities in NHS workforce. So is this with regards to um, pay gap? Or, you know, because I, I, I would think there's a band for each, you know, role has a pay, pay band on it. So how does this manifest itself in your findings? So it's, it's partly about pay gap, but it's also about working conditions and how ethnic minority staff are treated um, in the NHS workforce. So on the pay gap, um, there's some evidence to suggest that ethnic minority staff are less likely to be paid as much as white counterparts in similar roles. So even within a band, there's you know different points within a band. But it's also about, um, so there were some studies in there that showed that um, ethnic minority people may have been taking on more responsibilities during the COVID-19 pandemic. There was evidence that there is widespread racism towards different types of NHS workers, uh, not just during the pandemic, but more generally. So like racist abuse, physical and verbal from both staff, other members of staff and patients. Um, and then I think there was some evidence as well of kind of burnout of ethnic minority staff. But one of the things that was missing there was evidence of how experiences of racism and how those connect to someone's physical or mental health or rates of burnout. So one of the suggestions that we had is that these two areas should actually be linked up and future research should look at the link, the link there because... Um, research already shows so there's lots of research that shows just in the general population if you experience racism that will impact on your physical and mental health if you experience repeated racism that will have a what's called a cumulative effect so the more racism you experience the more the worse your health will get your physical and mental health so we we'll, th there should be some research looking at that kind of effect within healthcare workers in the nhs I think one of the things to point out as well, um, some of the research um, doesn't all include every type of person who works in the NHS. So obviously there's like so many different roles and the, the workforce race equality standard, which is the survey that is undertaken in the NHS to understand the ethnic inequalities in the workforce, that doesn't include kind of people at lower bands it doesn't include staff who are well, bank staff or casual staff. Um, so, you know, there may be even more inequality in some of ethnic inequality in some of those areas. So that was the other thing to point out. You know, the, the report covers some NHS staff, but it doesn't cover all sectors, all uh, sections of the workforce. Okay, so the, you know, um, I can understand um, inaction right but the report also found that there are efforts uh, the efforts to improve you know the outcomes of ethnic minorities were thwarted by a collection of health information there's an effort to impede action is that is that what you found from the report um so we didn't say there was an effort to impede action but i think the non-action is more accurate so you know ethnicity data should be recorded for everyone um, but it's not so but then there's no consequence for the NHS if they're not recording ethnicity data does that make sense so 
you know, we, when I started doing my PhD, um, how long ago was it? You know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I remember looking at different data sets because um, I wanted to look at ethnic inequalities um, in mental health services for ethnic minority women. So I thought, oh, let me look at the different data sets and see which, which ones I might be able to use to do the research. So I looked at some potential NHS data sets, but I just couldn't consider using them because the ethnicity data recording was so poor. And I thought, well, I can't use that data because ethnicity is not even recorded for, a, I think it was about 30% of people. I thought, well, I can't really use that because um, that's not going to produce good, robust, uh, good quality research. So that was happening then. It's still happening now. So what needs to happen for, for, people, for people who, so for example, the Department of Health, NHS England, NHS Digital, what needs to happen? How much more research do we need for them to say, yes, we will take action on this? Because I can understand people's um, kind of annoyance and frustration as well at researchers like me who keep producing research that keeps telling you the same thing in a way. Um, sorry, I'm not not trying to say that all research says the same thing because that's not true. But, you know, this was an evidence review. So this was just putting together all the research that's already been done and coming up with the same kind of stark messages. So I think it's frustrating, frustrating for us as researchers and people who are committed to um, racial justice to see that, well, we're not really sure what else what other evidence do you need? Because the, all the evidence is there. Um, yeah. Sorry, I haven't really answered your question there, Sashima. <laughs> Just kind of started talking lots. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I was wondering if it's just uh, uh, just to tick boxes. Please, I, I would like if you can um, summarize the, uh, the the recommendations again. I know you touched on some of the recommendations, but if you can go through some of the recommendations that you and your colleagues uh, gave to the uh, NHS. Yeah, so we, we actually did recommendations kind of in each of the yeah. sections. So, you know, each of the five sections that we've gone through. So there was like specific recommendations, but we actually made five major recommendations that we think should be kind of the immediate action. So the first one is what I've already mentioned about making sure that patients' ethnicity data is recorded and it's recorded accurately. So this means asking patients, what is your ethnic group in every interaction with the NHS? And then what you can do from that is then make sure that that data is put into patients' records and the different records from kind of a contact with a GP and a contact with the physiotherapist can be joined up, for example, and you can have a look at the ethnic differences. Related to that, the second recommendation was about producing better NHS statistics. So NHS Digital is responsible for producing um, the statistics from uh, health services. So we can see how many people access the service, what ethnic group they were. But actually, the quality of those statistics has actually declined over the years. So they actually used to provide much better ethnic breakdown of those statistics, for example, in mental health services but they're not do the the breakdown and the detail is not there anymore so you know it's on nhs digital to produce those the third area is to um provide and invest in proper interpreter services for the whole of the nhs 
And these should be available to patients that require it in person, on the phone and in online consultations. So, you know, we need a high quality interpreting services. People shouldn't have to rely on friends or, or family. Some people don't have friends or family to rely on. And um, so that was the third one. The fourth recommendation was we think that the NHS needs to work uh, to build trust with ethnic minority groups and key voluntary and community organisations. So we know that there's lots of grassroots um, ethnic minority organisations, there's uh, charities who do race equality work, and they have very good relationships with the people that they work with and the people that they serve in the areas that they work. And often you will see ethnic minority people go to those organisations for help. We saw it in the pandemic. So those groups were doing a lot of work. They might have been providing meals to people who are isolating, bereavement counselling, social support. Um, so there needs to be, because a lot of ethnic minority people don't have trust in state institutions, for example, like the NHS or like the police. So we think one of the ways that you can build trust for a national health for the national health service is to work with those voluntary organisations to build that trust. And that is a key factor. And that also means treating these voluntary organisations with a lot more respect in terms of um, acknowledging the amount of work that they do outside of the NHS um, that the NHS is not doing. And also um, acknowledging that these groups need longer term funding. So a lot of these groups have short term funding, um, but they're providing vital services to many ethnic minority people. So, you know, these groups should be given much longer term contracts of funding from kind of central government or local governments in order to keep going. And the final recommendation was really about um, greater investment in research, but research that actually tries to understand why these ethnic inequalities exist and puts um, structural and institutional racism at the heart of those explanations. So, you know, quite often we'll see research that um, talks about ethnic inequalities, but without actually really thinking about why they exist or, um, or thinking like why they've come about in the first place. So that there needs to be much better investment in that type of research, which understands how racism affects healthcare. So those are the five major areas where we think there should be um, attention. Okay, so what I'm wondering now, so what is left now is you have made the recommendations now what i don't know so we've done as much as we can to get the message out there i mean it would be interesting to see well we've just had the leveling up strategy which obviously uh, was probably being drafted as we did the report um which suggests you know how we can level up whatever that might mean for kind of different social classes within the uk but I mean, if you look at that report, there's very little mention of how um, ethnic inequalities will be addressed. But you can't really talk about differences in socioeconomic position without talking about racism as well. So that's kind of been erased from that report. What now? I mean, maybe I'm coming at it from slightly pessimist, a slightly pessimistic view, but I'm kind of used to us doing research and then people with the power to make things change, ignoring that research. Obviously, ideally, 
this report would be taken very seriously. And I think because it's been commissioned by the NHS Race and Health Observatory, I think it does have the potential to create some real change. Um, but I can understand some of the, your listeners might be thinking, oh, yeah, that's never going to happen. You know, it's just another report. But I, I do sympathise with that view as well. Um, I think what we really do need in this country is a national race equality strategy. So I don't just mean in healthcare. I mean, how is this country going to think and what is it going to do about racial inequality in this country? Because we've seen this for decades and decades. So you need a proper commitment to it. We don't need the denial of institutional racism. We don't need the denial of ethnic minority people's experiences. We need a, a national commitment to addressing that. But I understand that's very idealistic as well. It's maybe something that we'll not see whilst I'm still alive. But if if you're going to seriously do something about it, that's that's what's needed in this country. Okay, you, you talked about a national uh, race equality strategy, you know, something that can deal with, you know, you know, broad spectrum of issues, not just in healthcare. There are issues with policing, there are issues in so many places, employment, so many places. But people have to accept that there are institutional or structural racism in the UK, which is still a huge debate among several quarters. You know, most people don't want to admit that. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's the other point, isn't it? That people are not willing to do something about something they, they don't think exists, or they're very smart about pretending doesn't exist. So um, I think that's why I'm still doing the work I'm doing. You know, I'm, I look at ethnic inequalities in health, also kind of for ethnic minority older people. So I'm going to continue doing this research and keep banging the same drum about this is what's happening. This is what the inequalities are. And then we have lots of people who are activists, people who are lobbying, people who are working to make things change. Um, but I think also people are probably feeling quite disillusioned, especially after the pandemic, when we've seen the extent of how ethnic minority people have been affected with the, uh, you know, the increased deaths for so many ethnic minority groups. Um, and also, you know, some of the research that we're doing, I work at the University of Manchester in the Centre on the Dynamics of Ethnicity. So we've been funded to look at the impact, uh, the social and economic impact of the pandemic on ethnic minority groups. And we'll be kind of putting out um, our results kind of when they become available. Um, and they've not just been, it's not just their health that's been affected. There's lots of other areas of their life that have been affected by the pandemic. So it's, I think a, a lot of ethnic minority people in this country may be well feeling like, well, this government or governments previous don't actually care about the needs of ethnic minority people, don't care about the lives of ethnic minority people. And it's difficult for them to believe that things might change or, or how they might change. Um, but I think, you know, my job as a researcher is to keep presenting that evidence, keep making sure that audiences like yours and other audiences are aware of what the data is telling us and what we might be able to do about it and just keep pushing that message. Yeah, I have a suggestion, you know, maybe at, at the start of these studies, you know, before commissioning it, they will also set up an uh, implementation committee, committee that will actually take whatever recommendation that you presented and actually find ways to implement it, whether speaking with uh, Boris Johnson to find the special budget 
or you know there has to be plan for implementation not just the, the research maybe you can suggest this to because you have a direct okay. line <laughs> i could yeah i could try and suggest it i think i think people are very unwilling to commit money anyway but i don't think they would commit anything before they've seen the results either but yeah i understand what you mean kind of you know putting putting a program together where there's funding for the research and then there's funding to do something about the whatever the results are as well so i understand what you're saying yeah Okay, so that's it uh, pretty much. But I was wondering, is there anything else you would like to add uh, uh, about what we discussed now or something you would like to expand more about your report? Uh, no, I think we've covered everything. Um, if people are kind of still interested to hear more, I'm, I'm going to be doing an event with the Stuart Hall Foundation on uh, Tuesday, the 8th of March. So I'm going to be in conversation with um, Jifa Ofonu, who was a clinical psychologist in the NHS. And they speak about burnout in the NHS. Uh, so we'll be in conversation. And if people are interested, I can um, I can send you the link to that. And it's a free online event if anybody wants to attend. Please send it to me and I'll put it up uh, with this video as well. That's great. Thank you very much. Dr. Kapadia, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you.